Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We are back in our cozy studio after doing it over the phone last week. We much much prefer this, uh, and I think we have a little better banter when we're here. We're going to talk the draft today. Uh, we're going to talk guys that were drafted and guys that weren't, and uh, we'll get into each one of them individually for a little bit, and we'll talk about the collective uh, class that may be drafted out of the Hokies next year, and we'll also talk about uh, the post-spring power rankings that ESPN has done for the ACC, and we'll see where the Hokies checked in there. Andy, we ended last week's podcast by asking, I asked you how many hours of NFL draft coverage you thought you would watch physically, watch on TV. How many did that turn out to be? Can you give us a rough, rough estimation? Uh, too many. Uh, I think it was at least six hours on Saturday because I watched the whole thing, knowing that some of the Hokies were going to go uh, on that day, the last four rounds of the draft. Uh, less on Friday because I had to cover the Salem Red Sox. I mean, I was following along online, but I wasn't actually watching the draft because I was at, at the baseball game covering that. And uh, Thursday night, I didn't really catch too much of it. It was more of the latter half of it. So I'd probably say, in all, probably nine or ten hours of the draft, which is way more than any rational human being should watch it. Yeah, I, I stuck to my plan of watching zero hours. Uh, at the UVA spring game, I, they did have it on TV, and I would look up and see. I guess that, that counts as some minutes, maybe. But I, I looked up to watch the ticker at the bottom. I also checked my Twitter a lot to see if you tweeted anything about guys going off the board Saturday. Um, and of course, the guys did go off the board Saturday, and I, I retweeted you when you when you did them. But well, was, you saw how they were doing it on Saturday. Is they kept doing these remote picks, like off site, right. where it's like, oh, here's uh, the cast of This Is Us in <laughs> Pittsburgh making a pick, and then they, they went to like the Indianapolis Zoo or something like that. And Mike Mayock of the NFL Network got really ticked off about it. He's like, if we're going to the zoo again, I'm walking off the set. Like he was like legitimately angry, <laughs> like. Did, did a some, monkey do it or something? It was like an orangutan or something like that. Like presses the screen and is like, we select such and such. It like, but Mike Mayock was legitimately mad about that. It, it, like, I don't think he was actually going to walk off the set, but he's like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is this is the NFL draft. This isn't a, some dog and pony show here, which is you know laughable because that's exactly what the NFL draft is. It is a, a dog and pony show, but. Uh, I just like the guys that got very serious. Like, let's treat the draft with the respect that it deserves. Like, you realize there's people wearing, like, team team uniforms and funny hats and face paint that are cheering and booing guys that they've never heard of in the draft. Like, it's maybe not as, as a, a revered event as people make it out to be. Yeah, I heard about the orangutan, and I heard about the David Pearson stuff, you know, after it happened. And I feel like I got plenty of good draft coverage just in the post-mortems you know I, I that's all i needed i needed to know the highlights what was funny uh what was surprising i got all that uh, from from national coverage uh, following the event and i got all the local coverage i needed from you so well, there you go I mean, all your bases watch, are covered yeah this is the beautiful uh technological age that we live in well i think we should start with a guy who didn't get drafted because i think he's kind of been the story here the last few days and that's gerard evans um i wrote a blog post about him that, actually, that was the thing that stuck out to me most from a local perspective. 
Uh, not that he didn't get drafted. We had talked about it last week, and we thought maybe he wouldn't. But uh, just the, the vitriol that was coming from a small segment of the fan base, and I'm heartened you know, because I wrote about that, and I basically said, you know, what are you doing? And I got a lot of responses from people saying, thank you for saying that. Just, just thank you for saying that, because I think there's a lot of people are just fed up with, with online jerks. And, um, you know, there's really no way to combat them <laughs> other than just say, stop being a jerk. But uh, I was happy that people, the, the, the lot, I mean, I still got people saying, well, you know, what are you talking about? You know, we, we have a right to say whatever we want. And that's, you know, I expected that. But I also got a lot of people saying, hey, this needed to be said. Appreciate you saying it. Yeah, I think that was the feeling held by most Virginia Tech fans. I, th- I think sometimes we fall into the trap on Twitter is that what a couple people say all of a sudden becomes the narrative. Right. And uh, I think there was a an article written on USA Today right after the draft, like, oh, Virginia Tech fans acted ugly in the response. It's like, well, it was a select number of them. Right. Like, I wouldn't say it was the overwhelming majority. I'd say it's a very small minority of them. But sometimes when you're in that social media bubble, it just feels overwhelmed. It's like, oh, my gosh, I got four comments about that. When you think about it in the larger picture, I, I have, like, close to 25,000 followers, 10,000 of which are probably robots uh, that follow me and spam bots. But it's like four out of, you know, 15,000 maybe actual followers, that's not an overwhelming majority of like people coming at you and saying this is ridiculous about uh, this Gerard Evans leaving early and kind of gloating about the fact that he didn't get drafted. So I think sometimes that really gets overblown. But I think there was uh, you know, sort of that segment out there that people just for some reason had to have the see I told you so, even though you know that particular opinion wasn't theirs uniquely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think the coaches thought he should have come back and said as much. I think all the draft experts didn't think he should have come out and said as much. And not like recently, like when he came out, that was the overriding opinion of people is that he probably came out too soon. Uh, I, you know, I think Gerard, you know, people say, oh, fire the person that gave you the advice to go pros. I, I think Gerard was the one who made the decision. I yeah. don't think he was getting advice from anybody that was telling him to do that. I think he's very strong in his opinions and his convictions. And he thought he, he wanted to go pro at this time for whatever reason, you know, I've tried to contact him. Uh, he has not wanted to talk to this point. Uh, I know people have all sorts of theories and there's like a, a thousand different, Oh, I heard this and I heard this and they all can't be true because that would just be, be wouldn't be a fully functioning football player. If all this stuff was true right. uh, in the fall. But uh, I, I think the overriding factor above all this is I think that Gerard is a very confident person who thought he was ready and, thinks he will be able to go into the NFL camp and compete. And uh, when you make up your mind and you're sort of headstrong like that, he he went ahead and made that decision. And for some reason that rubbed a lot of Virginia Tech fans the wrong way. I, you know, I think the obvious reason is they're just sort of disappointed to what could have been in the 2017 season if he had come back. I think they'd definitely be the Coastal Division favorites if that was the case. But uh, I do kind of wonder sometimes whether this just like desire to gloat and be right online uh, you know, Twitter is a great thing because you can get a lot of information at your fingertips all the time. It's constantly coming in. But it's also a terrible thing because it gives a lot of people who are jerks megaphones mm-hmm. to just go out and be jerks louder in a more uh, direct way, especially with the, the replies and stuff like that. So uh, it's it just kind of a, a bad circumstance. I don't think it really reflects poorly on Virginia Tech fans. I think this is just kind of the nature of – uh, social media these days is that no matter what happens, you're going to have somebody that's the bad apple in that group. And, you know, there are probably more than one or two in this particular instance, but 
uh, you know, just let the guy be. I mean, he went pro. Just just let it happen. You don't need to, to gloat after the fact. Yeah, and I agree with your theory on Evans that it was confidence that led him to uh, to make this decision primarily. That was what was driving him. But you hit on the gap there. I think there is that gap of, of, that we just don't know because he hasn't really he hasn't spoken about it, and it's not from lack of trying. As you said, you've, you've given him multiple opportunities to – to say it, it didn't necessarily have to be him calling you back. It could just be him, you know, expounding on it somewhere publicly, even you know, even on his Instagram or his Twitter or something, saying, "Look, look, I got this information from so and so that said, you know, I was going to be a top four round guy or something like." Just so, even if you didn't name the guy, or just, I think that would help people's understanding a little bit. Or even if he just came out and said, "Look, nobody told me to do this. I'm, I did it because I." wanted to do it and this is uh, my decision i think you know to, to get the whole story we need to know that or, or it'd be nice to know that uh from from evans from the horse's mouth so to speak but evans did latch on with a uh, team he uh signed what yesterday or at least it was reported on tuesday it was reported yesterday it sounds like it was right after the draft that okay. he actually came to a deal with the eagles uh reported yesterday i still haven't seen philadelphia announce anything i know the Hokies football Twitter account confirmed it. I'm assuming through Evans is how they confirmed it, but I haven't seen an official announcement from the team, but it looks like the Eagles is where he's going to get a shot. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, what, what's the situation in, in Philadelphia? Does he have a chance of, of being on the practice squad? Does he have a chance of possibly being a third quarterback there? Well, obviously Carson Wentz is the starter. You don't uh, spend a number two overall draft pick uh, on a quarterback and start him all season and not have him be the quarterback of the future. So that's not really uh, a thought is the starting job or anything like that. The backups are Nick Foles and Matt McGloin. And both those guys, I think they've been in the league six and five years respectively. I think I have that uh, order correct there. Uh, so neither of them would be eligible for the practice squad. Uh, Aaron Murray was their third stringer practice squad guy. I think they carried two quarterbacks last year and he was uh, on the, the practice squad, may have been activated to the active squad. Uh, for a game or two, he signed with the Rams. So they don't really have that developmental guy that's further down the roster. Uh, if Gerard goes in there and sticks, that could be a landing spot for him. I mean, if they're going to carry two, they're probably going to, obviously, Carson Wentz, and then I would assume one of those veterans is the backup. But the third guy, the odd man out of those three, uh, can't be on the practice squad because he's been in the NFL for too long. So that would open up a spot for Gerard to be on the practice squad, which, you know, if you're not going to get drafted, that's not a bad place to be uh, if, if you're a quarterback that needs to refine some skills in the NFL. And I think that was sort of the overriding thought on Gerard is that, uh, you know, progressions and footwork and, you know, speed out of the pocket, uh, getting your drops and stuff like that, that all needs work. Uh, the practice squad is a good place for that. And it's not exactly chump change on the practice squad. I think if you're there for the full season, you can make like $117,000 a year. Wow. Uh, so if he does that, I know people are going to say, oh, if he come back, he would have been this high draft pick, which I don't know if I really follow that logic to its conclusion. If, if you were undrafted one year, are you all of a sudden going to be a first-rounder the next year if you come back? I think a lot of those same flaws might still be there through the draft process. Uh, but, you know, to come out early, not get drafted, is probably disappointed. But if you can latch on and get this role on the Eagles and, uh, you know, uh, Make the practice squad, which I think would be a best-case scenario here. I think it would be a very long shot for him to make the actual roster, especially if they only carry two quarterbacks. Uh, if that's your first job out of college is to make $117,000 in a year, that's not bad. 
Uh, I know it's not the millions that people kind of have in their eyes when they see somebody going pro early like that, but uh, you know, I'd sure like to be making that now, and I'm not one year out of college. So, uh, you know, he made a decision to go pro. When you do that, you know, it's a man's world in the NFL at that point. You're fighting for your job, and you're trying to take somebody else's job. It's sort of dog-eat-dog dog there. Uh, this isn't the worst situation for him. So yeah. I, I think he, he might be in a good situation here. And I know a lot of people are pulling for him. I mean, you know, I mean, the discussions that we just had, you know, we talked about the negative out there, but I know there's a lot of people pulling for him, wanting to see him succeed. So it'll be interesting to follow that and see if he can uh, you know, find his way onto a team there. Well, his success would be good for Virginia Tech. It I mean, would. if you have a quarterback that, you know, Fuente coach that goes on to have success in the NFL, you can point to that as a coach and you can point to that as a program and a brand to being like, this is, you know, we put guys in the NFL. Uh, you know, if Gerard can make a roster and all of a sudden you got, you know, Tyrod went to Virginia Tech. You've got Andy Dalton, who's coached by Fuente. You've got Paxton Lynch, who we'll see what he does in Denver, who's coached by Fuente. You know, if Gerard's on a roster uh, at some point, uh, you know, I, I think what, I saw the guy uh, at Scout Sporting News who reported it. I think it was Eric Galco. Uh, you know, he said, you know, developmental guy in 2017, possibly competing for the second string job in 2018. If you can have a guy that's competing for a backup job in the NFL and, you know, it works a lot. That's how Tyrod got to where he was now. He was a backup for right. four or five years, whatever it was with the Ravens, then got a shot with the Bills. Uh, you know, guys ascend to a starting job eventually in the NFL like that. So that wouldn't be a bad thing for Virginia Tech if he does well because, you know, Fuente could point to it and say, hey, you want to be an NFL quarterback? Look at the guys that Virginia Tech and I have produced uh, in the NFL. So it, I think at this point it's probably best for Hokies fans if they just – just drop the sort of uh, you know moral high horse here about oh you should have come back you would have been better for your career uh, you know just get behind him and, and hope that he succeeds. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I thought about that when the first Hokie was taken off the off the board and it was Chuck Clark, a guy we didn't even mention on the podcast last week, and that's my fault because I didn't ask you where I know you mentioned him in your stories. Well, there was no intrigue about him. Well, I mean, he was a senior. He was going to be pro anyway. I mean, all the questions that people I, – I actually did a post where I'm like, here's what people are saying about Isaiah Bucky and uh, Gerard Evans. And somebody's like, well, why didn't you put – like, and I had an others category where Sam Rogers and Chuck Clark might be drafted. I think McLaughlin, Jonathan McLaughlin was in one of those uh, – projections in the seventh round and somebody's like well why why didn't you put sam up higher with comments about him he's almost treated as an afterthought in this it's like because guys like mel kuyper and todd mcshay and mike mayock weren't answering questions about sam rogers and not weren't answering questions about chuck clark there was no real intrigue about those guys what their draft positioning was so uh yeah i think it was a, a real afterthought and the fact that chuck was the first guy off the board i think was a, a surprise to a lot of people uh, and, and, but my point would be that you know, I think you were asked uh, on one of your uh, one of your mailbags leading up to the draft. You know, does the DBU thing mean anything? You know, is that a, does, does the NFL establishment look at that at all? And and I think maybe the Chuck Clark pick gives you a small indication that maybe they do look at it a little bit. You know, the success that some of these defensive backs have had. Um, you know, you could rattle off all the names, but I mean, you know, the, to to take a defensive back. Out of Virginia Tech feels like a fairly safe pick, regardless if it if he wasn't maybe a guy projected in the sixth round, right? Yeah, well, I I think what it does is it opens a door, or it makes teams stop and take a second look. I mean, it, it's always ultimately going to come down to the evaluation and what the teams think of a guy's capability to play in the NFL. And if they don't think he's going to play in the NFL, they're not going to take him. And 
you know, that's regardless of whether he plays in a you know, a defensive back factory like Virginia Tech or a place that's not necessarily like that. Uh, I will say that, you know, in the answer to that mailbag question I have is that there are a lot of schools that call themselves DBU or have that claim as some sort of defensive back factory that produces guys in the NFL to the point that uh, I think a couple of years ago or last year, there were six schools on a a list by, I forget the the, the outlet that did it, but Virginia Tech wasn't even one of them. Uh, ESPN did it three years ago, and I think Virginia Tech was 10th. So a lot of schools stake claim to that. Uh, I think the individual in this case, Chuck Clark, a guy who was a four-year contributor, three-year starter, played all the positions on the back end. Uh, he's a guy who can cover. He's a guy who can tackle. I think all that together uh, can play special teams. All that together is sort of the total package of why he got drafted uh, in the sixth round. And, and maybe some of those, you know, he's not a guy that jumps off the page at you speed-wise or, or anything like that. So I think that's why he wasn't a real high pick. Uh, production-wise, had two interceptions in his entire career, so it's not like he's a this ball hawk in the secondary. But uh, he's a very solid player. You know, quietly goes about his business. I think a lot of teams like that. And uh, sixth-round pick, I think they think he could come in and contribute on special teams right away, especially. Yeah, he's a tackling machine. I mean, every year it seemed like he was leading the team in tackles, and he could play up near the line of scrimmage and get you some tackles in the backfield, do some things against the run. You know. I, I'm a Maryland native, so I followed the Ravens and the Redskins more than I followed any other team, uh, which is not much. But you know, you, the Ravens have a good uh, reputation for for player uh, evaluation and, and drafting, especially on defense. Yeah, that's so, been their mo. Uh, you know, so that's a good situation for him. And uh, you know, good luck, to, good luck to Chuck because uh, you know we didn't talk about him much last week, but. Uh, he was the first guy gone. And what were the what were the Vegas odds of him being the first Hokies player on the board? I, I replied to your tweet. And I said sixty to one in my shop, but it's probably even greater than that. It's probably closer to Leicester City uh, territory. I mean, even even the guys like you have uh, Sam Rogers would have gone before Chuck Clark. I mean, at least he was mentioned in, in some of the pre-draft stuff. I mean, it just goes to show you that nobody really knows going to the draft. I mean, you can do all these projections all day, but people are going to take guys that uh, you don't see on boards anywhere. Yeah, and. It only takes one guy to like you, as the old cliche goes. Yeah, well, the next guy to go off the board was Bucky Hodges, who went to your Minnesota Vikings. Uh, you liked that pick as a Vikings guy? I did. I actually liked what the Vikings did in the draft. I mean, they didn't have a first-round pick because they foolishly traded it for Sam Bradford last year uh, so they could go 8-8. Eight and eight. I think that was their final record. Whatever it was, they weren't good. Uh, but they got Dalvin Cook in the second round as a potential replacement for Adrian Peterson. Then, you know, I thought Bucky was good value where they got him. Uh, you know, mentioned earlier this week, I think, it's a, or last week, it's a third or fourth round pick, possibly. Uh, questions about his blocking and whether he's a true tight end. Uh, the Vikings already have sort of a true tight end guy, Kyle Rudolph. So I think, you know, bringing in Bucky, if he makes the team and is not a practice squad guy right away, I, I think it opens up some ideas offensively that you can use these guys creatively. And that, that's really what I think a team taking Bucky was going to have to do is uh, I forget who it's some might have been Bucky Brooks or Daniel Jeremiah. One of the guys on the NFL Network had said that uh, you know Jordan Reed with the Redskins is sort of a comp for Bucky, and that he's not the real tight end guy where you expect him to put his hand in the ground and block a bunch of guys. It's just not his game. But if you move him around, stand him up, he can play receiver. He can you know he took some handoffs uh, with Virginia Tech, had some Wildcat snaps at some point uh, under the previous regime. Uh, I think if you use him creatively, he can be a real offensive weapon in the NFL. And 
uh, you know, that size, that speed. I, I think there's got to be a spot that, to get him in the game and he can be effective. Well, I told you before we recorded this that other than Evans, I mean, the biggest thing that, that sort of struck me about this NFL draft was just how difficult it is to become an NFL player, how exclusive that club is, because when you think of a guy like Bucky, who's got all the physical talent in the world, and what, sixth round, right? Sixth. Sixth round. Sixth round. I yeah, mean, and middle of sixth round, too. It wasn't even high. In this. I mean, Chuck Clark was the first one off the board. I think Bucky went 15 picks later. Yeah. And and it was hard for you to keep up because they started coming in rapid Yeah, they could have spaced those out a little bit. All of a sudden, you get to the sixth round. You're like, man, I don't know if anybody's going to get taken. That was four in, like, the next hour. So, yeah, that was a, a, a rush of picks there. I tried to write about each one individually. But, uh, you know, Bucky's wearing number 84 with the Vikings. Yeah. That's Randy Moss's old number. So he's never been shy about uh, confidence in his abilities, the God's gift tattoos and stuff like that. Uh, so that'll be an interesting uh, thing there in Minnesota. Sam Rogers was the next one off the board, also in the sixth. You said sixth round. I sixth. think he was late sixth. I think he was five picks after Bucky. I want to say mm-hmm. pick two oh six. Sam goes to the Rams. Sam Ram. Sam Ram. Uh, Is there a spot that's like? Can you think of a le- less Hollywood person than Sam <laughs> Rogers? Right. Uh, you know, he got the, the PFT commenter uh, uh, treatment after he that. got drafted. He says, he's literally from Mechanicsville, <laughs> Virginia. Doesn't get any harder working and true grit. Uh, high that. motor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it, – I never thought about that uh, in Sam's career. But, yeah, he is from Mechanicsville. And, you know, all the other buzzwords that you use about gritty players like that. I, I think it's a, an interesting spot where I'm going out to L.A. Sam just doesn't strike me as an L.A. guy, but he strikes me as a football guy. Uh, and he's going to fit in on, on whatever team he's on. Uh, I know Todd Gurley, the tailback there, had tweeted at him. or It was either at him or somebody who, from Virginia Tech who had tweeted about him, uh, you know, congratulating and welcoming him to the team. And obviously Sam could be a lead blocker for, for Gurley out there. He's a, a pretty good runner. Uh, you know, of all the guys here, I think the safest bet – in my mind, to make a team and last for a while in the NFL, I would say Sam Rogers, even if he doesn't really have those, uh, you know, otherworldly physical skills like some of these guys, just because he's going to go in, he's going to do the dirty work, he's going to play every special teams you ask him to. You know, he's an extremely coachable player. I mean, the, you know, Frank Beamer's staff raved about him. Uh, Justin Fuente raved about him at the end of last year. I just think there's a spot in the NFL for those kind of. Uh, under-the-radar guys that are not necessarily stars but are essential to building a roster that uh, I, I think is a pretty good opportunity for Sam. I was going to ask you that question at the end of this uh, of the number of the four players that were taken. I was going to ask you who you thought had the best chance. My pick for that is the next guy, the last guy on the list here, Isaiah Ford. Uh, he goes to the Dolphins in the seventh round. Uh, obviously, we talked about it last week. You know, speed was a big concern for I think a lot of the evaluators. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, he has a lot of the attributes that Sam does. I mean, in terms of the work ethic and the you know the desire to be great. And I think uh, you know, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna latch on there, and I think he's gonna gonna last for a while. I think I think ten years from now we're gonna look back and say Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins might have gotten the steal here with uh, Isaiah Ford. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I, I think it's maybe uh, a deeper receiver core in Miami than maybe some other teams. So from that perspective and in, in making the roster initially, I mean, he, could, he again could be a practice squad guy. Again, that's not the worst way to make a living, uh, at least initially in the NFL. Uh, 
he doesn't really, or didn't at least at Virginia Tech, play a lot of special teams. So that may be one thing that limits him actually making the roster initially. Uh, but like you said, I just think he, he was a really good receiver. I just, I, I can't in my mind imagine a guy that did all the things that he did at Virginia Tech not finding a way to at least have some sort of production in the NFL, some sort of success, uh, just because he ran a tick slower than people thought he would at the combine. Like, a 4.61 is not fast, but it's not slow by any stretch of the imagination. And if you're a receiver who runs crisp routes and can get open and knows how to work leverages and stuff like that, you can make up for that sort of speed deficit if you're not a 4-3 guy. I've seen a lot of 4-3 guys that just don't know how to play receiver. <laughs> I know the Vikings way back in the day drafted Troy Williamson because he ran a 4-3 out of South Carolina, and he was supposed to be the replacement for Randy Moss. The hang-up with him is with the, he didn't know anything about catching the ball and playing receiver. <laughs> he was quickly one of the biggest busts I think that they've had. Uh, I think he had one decent season in there, but I mean he, he flamed out pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, we'll see. What Isaiah did, you know, I called, I actually got a hold of Isaiah right after, and he sounded really down. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, that's not an interview that I really relished doing. I just had to fill out a story. And, right. uh, you know, I could, tell, I could sense right away he just didn't want, want to talk a lot about it. I think he really was upset or, you know, maybe caught off guard by how far he dropped in this process. Because when he came out, you know, people were talking second, third round possibly with him. And all of a sudden, you know, underwhelms a little bit the combine. Uh, I don't know what people really thought. I don't know if they were getting a 40 time from Virginia Tech that said, oh, this guy is just a burner on the field. Because I never had that impression of him as a player that uh, he he just, you know, you get the ball to him and watch him go. That was never his game. He would, he would just get open down the field. He would outfight guys for the ball in the air. Uh, he had a, he's got really good hands. I mean, you see him snag the ball down with one hand in the end zone and stuff like that. Uh, I, I just think that he'll have some success in the NFL and, you know, seventh-round pick, I think that's really good value for the Dolphins there. Well, you and I are both baseball guys, and you see this in baseball, too. It's an age-old argument over uh, tools versus production. You know, I mean, you've got guys like Yohan Moncada, who came through Salem last year. You just look at him, and you say, that guy's a, a superstar. You know, and that's that's your number one draft picks in the NFL draft. And then you got guys like Paul Goldschmidt, you know, eighth-round pick, who turns himself into uh, one of the best sluggers in baseball because of the production and Moneyball sort of changed the way people looked at that. You know, they looked at production a little bit more. My point would be Ford's a production guy. I mean, he's put it on film, the production. And uh, if somebody gives him a chance, I, I think the way he wins those 50-50 balls is translatable. You know, I think there's you know, obviously better corners and safeties in the NFL than there are in, in college. But uh, the way he fights and gets those balls so often and can make the tough catches look sort of routine – that's that's a skill that uh, is valued, and uh, I think the longer people are around him and the more times they see him make those kinds of catches in practice, the more likely they will be to put him on the field. Uh, let's let's go to the guys who didn't get drafted but got picked up by other by teams uh, as non non drafted free agents here. Uh, let's start with uh, Jonathan McLaughlin, um, McLaughlin Group. Yeah, that's right. That's his LLC that he's he's incorporated there. He's he's part of uh he's part of the Arizona Cardinals now. Yeah, so. Bruce Arians out there, uh, Virginia Tech guy. Well, we'll see. I mean, with all these undrafted guys, it's I think it's a longer shot to make the roster. Certainly, if you're not a priority guy or a position sort of a premium position where they they draft. You know, the Eagles I think is a situation where Gerard goes in. It's like he's the only developmental quarterback on the roster there. You could see a, a definite uh, way to a roster spot even if it's on the practice squad. 
uh, becomes tougher for these guys where there's more of them out there. But you know, good good opportunity for McLaughlin with the you know former Hokie running the show out there. Yeah, I think that's a good caveat for all these guys we're about to mention. A lot of times they'll get released and picked up and released and picked up, and it's sort of a transaction fest for for a lot of these guys when they're looking to latch on initially because the teams don't have anything invested in them. They didn't spend any kind of pick. It's just uh, again like baseball where you know the bonus babies get the get the get the number one look and they get the most chance of, for failure before you let them go. So these guys uh, are, are more apt to get let go quickly, but they're they're on teams right now, or at least they're uh, going to get a look. Can uh, Canham. Went to the Broncos, uh, defensive defensive lineman. Uh, yeah, I'm, I forget exactly what kind of scheme the Broncos run. If they're still a three four or four three, I know Von Miller's sort of a, an edge rusher that plays an outside linebacker, defensive end type. Uh, you know, Ken was always sort of at that tweener. Where was he big enough for an end? Is he fast enough for a linebacker? I think of the NFL, uh, he's probably not fast enough for a linebacker, so he'd be more of an end. But uh, again, you know, getting a shot—that's always a, a big deal. Nigel Williams joins. Tyrod in Buffalo. Uh, yeah, that, that'll be interesting. You know, he got hurt. he was having a really good season last year until he got hurt. So you don't really see him finish it strong because he, he had that ankle issue that was uh, kind of limiting him. So I'll, I'll be interested to see if uh, he can go into a camp healthy and if he can really make an impact. Yeah, Nigel, if you run out of money when you're up there, man, that casino's giving it away. I'm telling you, <laughs> was up there for that for that That's NCAA your last tournament casino trip, right? It was twelve hundred eighty dollars in like three hours. It was a beautiful beautiful thing but uh yeah it's you been, just shut it down after you like i'm not going to do better than that anytime soon i'm going to shut it down <laughs> just shut it down but yeah it's a nice casino stop by and i told you give it a shot uh woody baron goes to the cowboys yeah woody will be an interesting one because he's really undersized for a defensive tackle so I, I wonder if he has to play end in the nfl or what exactly the deal would be uh you know his uncle played for a long time in the arena football league i think he was like MVP caliber type player in the arena football league. So we'll, we'll see if maybe that's a, an option further down the line, if the NFL doesn't work out, but for a guy that was a first team, all ACC pick and had 18 and a half tackles for a loss, I think last year, uh, that's a pretty good shot. That it, it's kind of surprising, I guess that he went undrafted, but given his size, I guess maybe it shouldn't be surprising. Okay. And the guy who got signed as a Terp, but uh, played the majority of his career in Blacksburg, Trey Edmonds goes to the chiefs. Any chance he can launch on there? Anything? Or Farrell Edmonds the third. That's how when they reported it, they said Farrell Edmonds the third is signing with the Chiefs. Or like, oh, that's Trey Edmonds. Trey. No wonder he Trey calls being the third. Uh, yeah, I mean, he came to the pro day and he looked like he was in the best shape of his life. I mean, he's just really like cut, you know, very fast on the field. Looks like he was moving around pretty well. You always wonder what he was going to be like without all those injuries. I don't know if he'll ever kind of regain that top end speed that he had before he broke his foot. Uh, as a freshman at Virginia Tech, but uh, always one of the most upbeat, positive people I've ever talked to. So good to see him get an opportunity like this. Yeah, I really liked Trey when he was here. He was really fun to talk to all the time. What, what was his catch word that he always says? Wonderful. Wonderful. It's wonderful. 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 And I'm a big fan of Everclear, so that was, uh, there you go. That was another reason. Um, you know, I hate the draft hype, and I hate that it starts so early, but uh, this is locally – focus so we'll do this as for, for local listeners this is why we're doing this future drafts you kind of took a look at what people were saying about possible next year uh, virginia tech draftees what did you find what are people saying what's the scuttlebutt well 
you get done with the regular draft, and it's maybe five to ten minutes after the first draft is over, and the first round mocks for the following year's draft are already out. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned this in my blog post. I you know, try to be real with you know how much stock you should read into this stuff. You know, I say you know mock drafts from a week ago look ridiculous during the draft. Mock drafts from a year in advance are going to just you know, remember at one point a couple of years ago where people were saying Logan Thomas was a top five pick potentially. Right. That looks ridiculous in hindsight. Uh, it was all based on potential and not the reality of how he was as a thrower or anything like that. So huge grain of salt with any of this stuff that we say because, you know, you know, a couple months ago we were talking about Bucky Hodges as possibly a first rounder. He ended up in the sixth round. Uh, you know, Adonis Alexander is the guy who will be a junior, a true junior this year that it was getting a lot of love in a lot of these mock drafts. I saw him in the first round and three different ones. I saw him in the second round and another one, uh, late first round, mid-second round in those. But I think you can see why, because like we were saying before, the NFL is about projection and about tools. And um, he is an athletic freak. I mean, he is. He's 6'3", almost 200 pounds. Uh, that kind of size you would typically see a defensive back play safety. They moved him to corner to be that sort of physical uh, guy, I mean, remember that interception he had against NC State where he, he jumped like 40 inches in the air, was on the sideline, and yeah. uh, caught it right on and tight roped it before he, when he came down. You know, I think that's what NFL teams look for when they're looking for really toolsy guys that they're like, you know, we can teach them how to be, you know, NFL cornerbacks. I mean, it helps if you have that sort of knack for playing the position and the instincts and stuff, but. Uh, you can't teach him to be 6'3", 200 pounds, and run whatever he runs. And I, I don't know what his 40 time was, but I think a lot of people have looked at just sort of his physical build and uh, his potential in that sense. And you know, He wasn't even a starter last year until Greg Stroman got hurt at the end of the year. I mean, I know he was in that rotation, so you know, starting designation is kind of a stupid thing to, to harp on there. But uh, you know, I think if he can get in more and get more experience, uh, his stock could go up considerably uh, in the next year. Uh, Brandon Faison was another one I think I saw in a first-round projection on one of those uh, websites that are out there. Uh, you know, I, I think the question with him has always been health. Uh, he played 14 games in a full season for the first time last year. Uh, hasn't had an interception in 32 games, which you, you ask the Hokies about that, ask him about that, you can kind of explain a little bit of the way by uh, chance or circumstance that he hasn't had those uh, opportunities. But I think if he doesn't really tend to turn that around this year, a lot of teams will look at that and be like, well, how good of a corner is it if he's not you know, going after the ball, getting interceptions and stuff like that? Uh, and there's sort of an ebb and flow to that sort of thing with interceptions. Sometimes they come and sometimes they don't. But I think teams would like to see that production where, oh, he's had a lot of interceptions over his career if they're going to spend that high of a pick on him. Uh, beyond that, it's time. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds, I think are two guys that could – eventually be there. As I noted in the blog post when I wrote about this, they're both pretty young. Uh, I think all the Edmonds brothers skipped a grade when they were transitioning from private school to public school earlier on in their lives. Uh, and He's a true junior on top of that. So he, that's pretty young for Tremaine. Uh, Terrell, I think, is coming into his own. But you know the fact that they're both here at Virginia Tech, they're both big family guys, it makes you would think that they would want to stay here for the full four years and continue playing together in college. And if Trey can do something uh, in the interim, you know, yeah, uh, that might actually uh, help them out too. You know, another brother situation. Uh, Wyatt Taylor was one. I think he could help his stock. If he cuts down on sort of the mental mistakes and penalties and stuff this year. Uh, he's another one where you know, 
you know, power-wise, I don't think Virginia Tech's had an offensive lineman like that in a while. Uh, he just sort of has to harness that whole thing into the total package. One that I mentioned that he's uh, you know going to be a junior this year is Yash Nijman, uh, left tackle. Just because when you look at him, you go, that is the build of a franchise left tackle. And he's only played it for a couple of years. He switched over from defensive line when he got here, but... He's 6'7", 300 pounds, and it's, he's like an athletic 300 pounds. Like, you could probably add 25 pounds to his frame, and he would not look fat. <laughs> like that, yeah, I covered Virginia a while ago, and it's sort of, you know, he's a long-armed guy like that. He kind of reminds me a little bit of DeBrickishaw Ferguson. And I'm not going to say, you know, I'm a scout, and that's he's got those skills. I just say, physically, I look at him, and he just kind of has that same look to him. And obviously, DeBrickishaw was a high draft pick who stuck around in the NFL, very successful career for a long time. I think he, he missed like one snap in his career, mm-hmm. and it was uh, like a, a kneel down play or a trick play at the end on a kneel, like some you know garbage play at the end. That, that was the only play he missed in his career. Uh, so those are just some of the guys I think to look out for in the future. But like I said, right now it's so far in advance that you know, who. So much can happen in the course of an off season and a full season, and then the winter after that. That it's kind of ridiculous to kind of put any stock in any of it right now. Well, a lot of people don't know this, but my mock draft for 2019 is out, and the number one overall pick is Real Deal Khalil Pimpleton. Real Deal Khalil, the Pimpleton Minute. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't be eligible yet. Sure, he would. 2020 draft. Three years out, right? He'd have to play 17, 18, 19. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes it. Come on, update, update my mock draft. Please discard that, that previous draft. What was that Pimpleton Minute song that you played again? <laughs> I don't know. I just came up with it. Gonna, uh, any gonna, any news gonna, on Khalil this I'm week? I'm going to cut that part out, and I'm going to play that in future <laughs> future podcasts. You see that little segment. Uh, no, no new news on uh, Khalil Pimpleton. Okay. I think somebody sent us a suggestion for his theme song. It was Ludacris is pimping all over the world. Well, okay. I, I don't know if I've heard that one. I do like oh, Luda. It's a good song. Luda. You you've heard that song. I'm okay. sure you've heard that song. Maybe I have. It's from a while ago, but okay. I don't know if we could play it on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe there's a clean version we can grab. <laughs> Might be some copyright issues with that as well. Fair, <laughs> fair use applies, doesn't it? You mentioned the brick of Charles Ferguson. I just wanted to throw this in to the podcast real quick before we get to the uh, post-spring power rankings. You know, I was at that UVA Spring Festival, and I'm I know it's 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 sporty for people to make fun of how few people are there. Uh, you know, but I'm telling you, if you're a Virginia fan and you don't go to that, I understand. I completely understand. They don't even have numbers. Can you imagine <laughs> going so- and watch, can you go watch, you, get, you know, go watch the Hokies and they don't have numbers. It's just an amorphous mass of players out there just doing stuff. And you even, even like the quarterbacks, you'd be sitting there like, you haven't seen much of these guys. You're like, well, I know AJ Bush cause he's left-handed, but the <laughs> right? other guys like, there, there'd be some of the – who are these backups that are in the game? I have no idea who this, who this might be out there. I tweeted a picture of five guys, and I was just like, guy incognito. And uh, from left to right, this is uh, Mr. X. And, I mean, I, I really – Santos know. L. Helper here taking the snap. And of course, Barber was there, you know, and he's, like, on the sideline, like, studying, making sure he's picking out all these guys, and, you know, writing this real detailed recap of this event. And I'm just like – uh, this deserves to be made fun of, not not uh, broken down like you're doing, man. So, but you know he's a he's a hard worker. So. Post spring power rankings. Let's get to those. Uh, David Hale of ESPN.com, who I thought was a NASCAR guy, and you t- have told me no, he's he's a 
college football guy through and through, has released his post-spring rankings for the ACC. Where does he have that? If you were going to put an over-under where you think the Hokies would be in the ACC, where would you say? Overall ACC, uh, fifth maybe? He has them ninth Yeah. in the post-spring. That seemed a little low to me. Uh, Just from the coastal, I mean, these are the teams that are ahead of a Miami, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Duke. Uh, that I that seemed a bit too generous for some of those other teams. I think uh, to put the Hokies ninth, and his real concern is you know who's going to be the passer, who's going to be the quarterback, who's going to play on offense. All those things are true. All those things are question marks. I do have a little bit of faith in this new Virginia Tech staff and figuring that out and finding a way to be productive. I mean, you heard you heard Bud Foster say it at the end of spring is that they have a system in place and they have sort of the offensive minds that they can figure out how to be productive, even if they don't have that star power on offense. Uh, so I think there's got to be a little bit of faith in Fuente in knowing how to get some points and yardage and production out of this group, even if he doesn't have a lot of proven commodities on that side. Well, David's first sentence is who's rushing the passer. Well, that's another one, but, but don't you know that? Yeah. I mean, that, that was part of Virginia tech spring. Maybe this is just specifically you know, how they looked in the spring, but, uh, we know who's rushing the passers, Trayvon Hill and Vinnie Mahota. Right. Uh, you know, probably good, probably right? Haushan Gaines uh, when he you know, figures out his academic situation here. I would imagine he will and he'll be back. Uh, that's at least some guys. I mean, that's, you know, Tim Settle, Ricky Walker on the inside, I think, have the potential. I think that defensive line has a lot of potential once they get some experience under the belt, get some more playing time and reps. Uh, so, yeah, I really don't have any concerns on the defense that much. And I think the fact that the defense could be very good uh, tells me that Virginia Tech could be very good. I mean, I've said this many times is that you know, Bud Foster's defense has carried offenses much worse than this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've, they've carried some teams that had the 110th ranked offense in the country to the ACC championship. Uh, so I, I think there's a formula there and a history there that, yeah, they replace a lot on offense, but I think maybe it won't be as bad on offense as people might think losing all those stars because I think Puente will figure out a way to get some production. And you've got Bud Foster with a 20-year track record as a defensive coordinator on the other side that uh, has done it before. Plus, you're, you're looking at a coastal division that, quite honestly, every team has at least that many questions on their group as well. So, you know, ninth seems a little low. I'd maybe bump them up higher. Uh, you know, I can see the case for Miami, even though I'm a little cautious about Miami every single year because they're back, but they're not because they never have seemed to be. Uh, I think the fact that Mark Richt is there it changes that a little bit from when, when Al Golden was there. Uh, yeah, I think Miami had nine guys drafted last year, which is sort of under or last week, nine, seven or nine. It, it was the most in the ACC, whatever it was. Uh, you know, that kind of underscores the fact that they were so underachieving all those years under Al Golden. I think if they can figure out the quarterback situation, they could be pretty good, especially with that defense they have coming back. Uh, one I, I think to keep an eye on is Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, you never really think of them because I think people are always quick to write off Paul Johnson and really want to write his coaching obituary as soon as the first bit of struggling happens just because he's just such a frumpy, you know, just just looks like an unpleasant guy to be around, even though I think he's kind of uh, darkly funny about some stuff every now and then. But, uh, yeah, I think people will downgrade them because they lost Justin Thomas at quarterback, but... He seemed to plug somebody in a quarterback all the time. That guy who came up last year and played the Hokies, the backup, beat them uh, in Blacksburg. They have a lot of returning parts everywhere else on that team. I think that's one that might fly under the radar that 
Uh, people are talking about Virginia Tech's defense, Miami's defense, and you know I think Georgia Tech could be pretty good. Okay, we like to end this thing with predictions. I got two for you, two questions for you. One's hokey related and one's non hokey related. Okay, you ready? Yes. Hokey related. Will Gerard Evans take a snap at quarterback for the Eagles in a preseason game in 2017? In a preseason game, I would say yes. Okay. I'll say yes as well. I'm trying to think of when they have to make decisions and, and pare down rosters. I, I feel like at least the first one, they, they don't it, – it's still a pretty huge group right. at that point. I, I'd have to look at when the, the cutdowns are and stuff like that, but uh, – Preseason, I'll say yes, at least one snap. Okay. And I said on the radio on Monday, they asked me if I had a good betting tip this week, and I said, take the Capitals on the series money line. Washington Capitals. I know you're not a huge hockey guy, but uh, they were down 2-0. I used to be a big hockey guy, and then they moved the team out of Minnesota. But you, you follow people on Twitter who are big Capitals fans. That, that just makes you <laughs> aware of where they were heading into that game three. Choking dogs. <laughs> Same every year. It Choking was... dogs. A little better than four to one odds on the series going into Game Three, and now City Crosby's out, and now they're well, yeah, two when you one. Can, when you concussed the best player in the series right. with a cross check, do what I guess you got to do. Uh, will I got I got to ask Caps fans if you win because Crosby's out for the rest of the series. Like I know you'll take it, but will you feel good about that? Of course you will. Oh yes. I, I have to say, I looked at the replay. It didn't seem to me like it was a cheap shot. He was kind of like going to the ground anyway. It's not like the guy came in just you know, full barrel hit him in the head uh, i just kind of ended up that way i think yeah. but that's too bad you know if yeah. you, i think if you want to win you want to beat the other team when they're in full strength though. i think you do but also you got to remember <laughs> but i would take i'm not i would not give back a victory by any means you got to remember that pittsburgh has played capitals nine times in the playoffs and won eight of them i mean you know all four times pittsburgh has made the won the stanley cup they've beaten capitals along the way and a lot of times the caps were like this year they were they had a better record in the regular season it's it's one of those scenarios that felt like the you know, 04 Red Sox a little bit to me. You know, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it against your nemesis. And I think if they win this, they'll, they'll, they'll propel them to the cup. So that's Watch. Cool. Shortly after we do this, they'll lose and be down 3-1. Oh, they and, play tonight. So, I mean, they could be down 3-1. And that would make it even more dramatic if they were to come back and win the whole thing. So, that's my prediction. Um, Caps, Caps beat Pens. How do you like that? I really have no opinion on it. <laughs> I haven't really watched much of the NHL play. I haven't watched much of the NBA playoffs at this point. Uh, yeah, wake me in the conference finals for the NBA. Yeah, every, everything seems like it's trending in one direction. It, it's it's going to be – I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be Golden State versus Cleveland again. Is it, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I guess the Celtics maybe could give the well, Cleveland a series. I just don't see it happening. That's the thing. If you follow the early – it was all about, wow, the Celtics are the worst number one seed I've ever seen. Yeah, they've won six straight <laughs> since then. Just, you know, so it's like – yeah, they'll get there. You know, they'll they'll get to face Cleveland in the probably in the conference finals, and that'll be that. And then Cleveland will win, and then they'll play uh, uh, your boy Steph. He's your guy, right? My boy. I don't know. I'm a Timberwolves fan oh, through and through, right? Yeah, that's right. And you right. have to be because nobody would openly admit they're a Timberwolves well, fan at any give point me, in the school. All right, history. I'm gonna ask you what was the Timberwolves record this year? And if you're within three games, I will uh, credit that as a victory. I, I think they were like. I want to say like 37 and 50-something. They were a couple games under 500. They were actually close to the eight spot this year. I can't remember exactly what their record was, but they ended up coming up short. Okay, and I don't have time to look it up either, so you'll just have <laughs> <that was> an <laughs> idle threat by Aaron. 
Like, I'm going to look this up. No, you're not. All right. We don't know when our next one of these will be. I would like us to do these fairly regularly because I get really frustrated when podcasts. 31 and 51. So. So I was off by six games. Yeah. Loser. Wah, wah. Um, yeah, but we'll try to get together here as soon as we have something to talk about. They and lost six straight to finish the season. Clearly jockeying for a better <laughs> draft position. I think they're the sixth, sixth worst, sixth best odds in the uh, the lottery coming up. They want a coin flip with the Knicks. So who is their coach? Tom Thibodeau. Oh, if you didn't know that, they've got a good future. They've got <laughs> you know Wiggins. They've got Carl Anthony Towns, Rubio. Who knows with him? You know, Chris Dunn, I think you add another piece to that, they could be good long-term. No better way to lose listeners than by yeah. breaking down well, the in, NHL playoffs at a team that finished 8th in the East West. Are they in the Western Conference? They were like 12th in the Western <laughs> Conference. All right, well, yeah, so we, we won't get together until we have more than that to talk about. Uh, for Andy Vitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. Thanks for joining us.